The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Joey, have you ever heard the saying, be the buffalo? No. All right. So that's new to me. Yeah. There's, if you you go research this, I, I think this is really cool. Buffaloes. When storms come across the range, the range, like if I'm like out in the Wild West, where <laughs> I'm assuming that's what it is, the range. And buffalo will actually turn toward the storm and run full speed ahead. You sure about that? Yeah, I've, I've done some research on it. I actually, I got a mug from someone one time that said, be the buffalo. And I'm like, what does that mean? And so I went and researched it. And buffalo literally will charge into the storm. And the thought process is, I don't think anybody's ever consulted a buffalo on this or not, but the thought process is they will then charge through it to get to the other side quickly instead of sitting there like a cow and just getting pelted slowly as the storm moves by them. So they're trying to reduce the effects of the storm by running through it, not just waiting on it to hit them, like proactively, not react. Exactly. And I think sometimes we can be the reactive approach. Today's guest shared another animal analogy with us. He said that we should be the goat and not the sheep. I'm going to make you listen to his explanation of what that is. But I I love from his interview, my takeaway from this one is someone who did an analysis of himself, kind of did his own investor DNA. Yep. And from that, found out that he should be an investor. He should be a CEO. He should be taking action, which is contrary to his, like what you would think of someone who's an engineer, kind of more calculated, sometimes would be more, um, I would say, risk averse, right? Right. He he took that as a challenge to himself and through that made some uh, amazing strides to the point where he was doing deals that most seasoned investors aren't doing. He was doing those early on. Like right out of the gate. Immediately. I I love the fact that his entree into investing wasn't brought on by some negative thing. Like sometimes we hear that somebody is forced into investment because, man, their income just got crunched or they just lost their job and they're like, now what? And they're, you know, they have this life situation that happens that drives them to a change. But in his case, it was like, he said, man, I found out I should be an investor. It never really dawned on me before that. So I started learning about it and going down that path. I mean, that to me was really unique. Well, I, one other one as we we re- head toward this interview that I like too is that he started really small. Yep. Like sometimes people think that, well, that's great for you. That's great for the guest that was on there. But I don't have $50,000 to start. I don't have $500,000 to start. I've only got $5,000. This this probably isn't for me. I, maybe I just need to fund my Roth IRA for the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you've been in that boat or if you've ever been kind of really excited about something and then realize, oh, well, that was out of my reach. I couldn't do that. 
this is your interview. Like this is the time that you hear the process somebody just like you took. And dude, in five years, the transformation of Josh's life, I mean, this is unheard of. It, it is really huge. Another interview with one of our community members, someone just like you who can help you inspire you get to the next level. Let's jump in and listen to Josh Messimer. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Josh, in engineering school, I know that you were taught systematic processes, the way to think, to be calculated, and to measure your decision-making. Looking back over the last five years, how do you feel like your path to financial freedom has followed a calculated process that has led you to where you are right now? Um, yeah, I think that's a multifaceted question. An answer. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it, I had a direct end in mind. I, I had a goal that I wanted to have financial freedom, but I didn't necessarily have exactly where I wanted to go. Um, as I started to figure that process, uh, it came to me that real estate's probably the route I wanted to go. Uh, it was something that was tangible. You know, lots of people, you know, do real estate. Um, it was the level of comfort I felt the most with as opposed to some more abstract concepts. Uh, but I had a professor in grad school. Uh, his name was Metasos, and he passed away. Uh, but he used to always harp on us that uh, you can get to 95% of a solution with pretty little effort. It's that last 5% that takes a great amount of effort. And so uh, while engineering school didn't necessarily prepare me for following a trajectory, uh, I felt like it really gave me a toolkit to hone in pretty quickly when I look at an investment to get to that 95% mark and know, is this something I want to pursue uh, and add into my toolkit or is it not? And so that's probably one of the biggest things I took away from my engineering background. But now you said, you know, always wanting to focus in on being financially free. Like you had this kind of, this kind of goal when, when did that become a goal for you? Like how, do you remember how old you were or, you know, what, what your yeah, life you know, circumstances I, were at that time? My first job out of college uh, was, like most people, it was not a high-paying job. And uh, I remember, you know, being in that Dave Ramsey mindset, you shouldn't have debt. And I told my wife, you know, we're going to not buy our first house until we can pay cash for it. And uh, it was, you know, a rat race. I was trying to put everything I could into knocking out school debt, which thankfully we did. You know, we did that in about the first year and a half after school. Um, but I was terrified once we bought that first house, like, what if I lose my job? You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? And, and it wasn't even, I mean, it was a repossessed bank home. It was a $60,000 home. And I still had that fear, you know, what if, uh, and I started a new job, you know, some months after we had our first house, it's probably a year and a half, two years. And I took a personality test and you know, it highlighted that the things that you would be good at are um, 
CEO type decisions, uh, the ability to process things, investing. And it had never dawned on me that that was something that I could or should do. Um, and when that happened, it, it was like a light, you know, a flip switched. And I really started getting into listening to podcasts, seeing what other people were doing and figure out how I was going to start to implement those tools. So uh, honestly, I was probably 27, 28 before that even became on my radar. Well, I love the fact that you said that you learned about yourself in our process. We, we use a tool very similar to that. It's called the investor DNA, and it does give people insight about themselves that maybe they wouldn't have already known. And also then they can take that information as you did and try to apply it. So talk about like when you took that and you said, okay, I should be an investor. That can mean a lot of different things without context. How did you determine what sort of investor you wanted to be? Yeah, well, you know, Russ, you and I know each other outside of the podcast some, and so, you know, faith is important to me. And honestly, I just prayed about it and, you know, said, Lord, what should this look like? Uh, and over time, you know, real estate seemed to be the emerging trend of something that I, you know, could pursue and should pursue. And I had a handful of big tests I had to take. So I kind of put everything on the back burner until that was done. Uh, shortly after I passed one of these exams is when I, finally got engaged with IBC and started looking at, you know, what should my first policy or property be? And um, I read Robert Kiyosaki's book right after I took this exam. And it, uh, it's what really got me thinking of even more about financial freedom and property. And so from that time, um, I thought it was six months, it was maybe a year, I started just continuing to pray. And there were two properties I used to drive by every day. And, you know, would just as I would go by them, pray that one day those will be mine. And um, I did that for a long time. It was a 19 unit apartment complex and a triplex, you know, pretty far apart from one another. And I wanted to go after him without any real knowledge of how to do so and, and just kept praying about it. And one day I sent a letter to the guy who owned the 19 apartment unit complex and just kind of full-heartedly thought it might get me somewhere. And he called me a week later and said, you know, I've had this for 40 years and I just decided it was time to sell it. You know, you can have it. And so uh, that's how I ended up getting into real estate was um, just going down that path. And, and I had my IBC policy. Um, it wasn't enough to cover uh, getting into the property. And so I looked for a partner, which I felt more comfortable with anyways, because my first time I'd done anything like this. Uh, and then what was interesting is about six to eight months after that happened, uh, the owner of the triplex called me. His company had been the appraisal firm on the 19 unit place. And he called and said, Hey, you know, you worked with my wife during that appraisal process. She liked you. She thought you'd be a good fit. My parents own this triplex. They passed away. You know, do you want to buy it from me? Uh, and so th that's how I got into real estate. And I just prayed about it. I felt like that was the direction I should go. And they both fell into my lap. Well, I mean, it just it's such a coincidence. I'm sure <laughs> that you drove by there every day, you prayed, and then all of a sudden these things just happen. I mean, I'm just, it was just total coincidence, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the here's the thing though, and we've talked about this many times on the show, Josh, is that in order for opportunities to happen, we've got to be prepared. And I know yep. you 
you kind of in passing mentioned IBC and, and most of the listeners to this podcast know exactly what IBC is, but I don't want to take for granted that this is the first episode that maybe someone is listening to and they don't even know what IBC is. So from your perspective, we talk about it a lot. Tell, tell the listener what IBC is and why you are even interested in participating in that process. Well, I wasn't that interested at first, um, but I have a brother-in-law, um, Chet, who is fairly relentless. And you, know, you and he connected and became close, and uh, he kept, you know, pestering with me, with me with it in a good way. And um, you know, I alluded to that test I had to take. Well, once I cleared that hurdle, I said, okay, I'm going to sit down, you know, look at this analytically. And I went through Nash's book. I went through uh, a book I can't remember but it was another book on whole life um, policies and spent a lot of time wrestling with it. You know, I think it was fairly early on and you doing a lot of IBC stuff. You were gracious enough to take a lot of time uh, to explain it to me and have calls with me. And uh, one day it just clicked that starting these whole life policies, using it as a warehouse for your cash, uh, but not necessarily doing it with insurance as the intent. Um, one day just made sense. Um, and, to this day, I, I continue to you know start new policies as I'm able to. And um, one of the things that you and I have talked about before is uh, a verse that I just love in all aspects of life is um, out of Zechariah 4.10, where it says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And my salary used to be less than it is now. I used to not have passive income. And so when I started my first policy, I think you know, it was a real scrape to put you know, five or $6,000 a year into it. Um, but we did. And that's kept growing and kept growing. And uh, now we have a nice chunk of money there that we cannot use when we don't want to go to a bank or uh, use alongside a bank. And um, for those who don't know what it is, it's a way to store your wealth. And to me, uh, not only is it a valuable asset, uh, but it trains you to start thinking like an investor because you're learning how to manage your money. That is probably one of the best most succinct ways people have ever explained it. I, I may actually be looking for a co-host, um, Josh, at some point in the future, just, just in case it you're It sounds mutual just, between the two of you. Just letting you know. Um, but I, I do want to ask this. So when you were first learning about this, you're, you seem to be, obviously you had engineering background. You had, you looked at it from an analysis um, that probably a lot of people wouldn't have. Do you remember any of the hurdles that you had going into it? Maybe it was a, a bias, a mindset, um, anything like that that you remember you had to get past in order to say, yeah, this this makes sense? Uh, honestly, the, the most difficult thing that I found was being willing to be a goat and not a sheep. Uh, you can go talk about this process to lots of sophisticated people, and almost every single one of them is going to tell you, buy term and invest the difference. Put all your money in your 401k. I talked to CPAs. I talked to lawyers. I talked to people I respected. And time and time again, you know, that's a terrible choice. Why would you ever do that? Life insurance is a terrible investment. Uh, and it took me a while to be comfortable enough to say they don't get it. They're not interested in listening. You know, they're happy not to touch their money until they're able to retire. And getting over that hurdle took me probably six months. So when you say be a goat, not a sheep, that's a really interesting analogy. Break that out for Joey over here. <laughs> you know, uh, back to you know my roots of faith, uh, goats and sheep are described in the Bible frequently. Sheep are the timid creatures who just kind of follow the herd and 
uh, goats are the hard charging people that, you know, probably do some stupid things, but knock their way into uh, different territories. And um, that's just a metaphor I use to describe being willing to break away from uh, the group mentality. I, I love that so much. I, um, that's something I'll, I'll definitely have to to use and put in my my repertoire. And it, it is true, right? I mean, and by the way, I, I feel like I was a sheep in the financial world for many years following what I had been taught. I'd gone through and taken some of those large exams, probably similarly um, uh, stressful and lengthy as you took. And I, I thought that, you know, that trained knowledge gave me the information I needed. And, and it wasn't, though, leading me in the path that I was wanting and my life was was changing. And you've you've been, you know, you've said this all offline before that you, you love what you do, right? You don't mind being an employee. You you love the mm-hmm. fact that um you you get to do your role, but you like to do it on your own time. So talk, you know, as as you've been implementing IBC and as you said a second ago, it's it's provided you opportunities to think and those opportunities have given you um, a mindset to think of passive income and you've bought some assets. How do you see passive income impacting your life? Yeah, in a couple of ways. I mean, I think, you know, lots of people love is passive income increases and you know, one day they, they're not an employee and they have more time to, to volunteer in organizations. They have more time to spend with their family. Uh, but like a lot of your guests, to me, retirement's not a thing. Um, there's never a time where I'll say, hey, it's time to hang up the shoes and relax for the rest of my life. Uh, so utilizing IBC and passive income, um, I do it right now. There will at some point be a time where I probably don't want to be an employee and I just want to focus on managing you know, the things that I'm doing, growing them, you know, probably branching out with my children to grow things. And so for now, I'm content. I, I serve my community. I work as an administrator for my county. It's an opportunity to, to serve a lot of people behind the scenes. And I love that. Um, but the day will come where it's time to do something else. And uh, I don't have any concerns about doing that. And also working in a political environment, you know, you're at the whims of the elected officials and you never know who's going to run for you know, some reason that you know, cuts across the grain. And that could be you that gets cut. And so, you know, like we've talked about before, building this storehouse of wealth, that could happen to me today. And it, it's not a big deal. Um, I'll be fine. You know, we'll live as we want until we find the right fit. And and that's a freedom that, you know, I think a lot of people don't have. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Russ, I remember my dad specifically say to me, Joey, you got to go to college. I don't want you to end up like me. And you know what my dad was saying is in order for things to change, things have to change. You can't end up just like me. Well, I think, I mean, we, we, as parents, sometimes we take on the burden thinking about our kids and, and how we want something better for them. And we want to know what will their future look like if I don't take action, if I don't do something different. See, in my house, I'm the role model. You're your kid's role model. And the buck stops with you. It's time to take action. If you're ready to take action, join us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and get started on your own journey to financial freedom. All right, let's jump back into this episode. Now, I want to take you to a little bit deeper conversation concerning now your investing career. It started with this just kind of, all right, I'm just going to randomly send this guy a letter. 
you jump right into 19 units, which that is one of the first times I think I've ever heard somebody <laughs> jumping into multifamily without having, you know, done a single family deal or, or whatever it may be. And you also mentioned how having IBC almost like trained you to think differently. How can you point to any other examples, maybe like since those first experiences that you've been able to get creative on finding new deals, new ways to structure deals, anything like that, that you'd be willing to share that people might inspire to, to say, Oh, I had no idea you could even do that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I credit, uh, one of the things that is important to me, I'm, I like to work with partners. Uh, one, I think it's more fun. Um, just doing something by yourself can be kind of boring to it. It helps you to greater minds um, coming together. And so I think you get more bang for your buck when you've got multiple people. Uh, and um, three, I, you know, I don't want to do something stupid. And so it's nice to have somebody there as a backstop um, to bounce my ideas off of. Uh, but, you know, a partner that partners with me on a lot of things is uh, a wealth of knowledge too. And so between the two of us, you know, we seem to do a good job. And um, just negotiating with sellers to do seller financing uh, is, we did it, we've done it with everything that he and I have bought together so far. Uh, started with the 19 unit. And, and when we did that, it was terrifying. Um, you know, I was nervous. I didn't know how to possibly broach the conversation. And, and the gentleman, his name was Art, you know, realized what I was trying to do and, you know, kind of opened the conversation and, and took it, uh, which was you know, nice to walk through that process. But uh, learning how to just approach a seller and say, hey, you know, you've got an asset you want to get rid of. We want to buy it, help us bridge that gap. Um, we almost never pay any cash for a deal anymore because um, if it cash flows well, uh, it, I'm not concerned about debt as long as you've got a good coverage ratio. And uh, we just sold the property. And you know, again, I credit my partner for helping negotiate this big time. Uh, we didn't pay anything out of pocket. Uh, the bank took 80%, the seller took 20%. Um, it's a strong market right now. We held it for one year. Uh, we've sold it for about $130,000 gain, and we just parlayed that into a 1031 house in Florida. And um, those are the kind of things that I think we've learned along the way. And, and then it just gives you confidence to strike out into new territories. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, before you jump in, Russ, I mean, I know you're going to not give me any time to talk, so I got to jump in when I can. You mentioned we never put any cash into deals anymore. But you also started the conversation telling us that you came out of the Dave Ramsey mindset. Help, help me understand yeah. that evolution because so many people are stuck where you just said you came from and they, they would never consider taking down debt on anything, let alone, you know, what you've been able to do with seller financing and other things. So help, help us understand that transition. Um, yeah, I don't think there was a, you know, precipitous moment that said, Hey, you know, here's the change. Um, but we started, you know, with the Dave Ramsey mindset. And as we started to buy things and realized, look, this isn't consumer debt. You're not buying something that you don't have more value with being, you're buying an asset that cash flows and you know, kind of like IBC, it took me a long time just to wrap my mind around this. But when you finally start to realize, look, there's more cash that comes in the, in the door every month then leaves. And I just started to feel comfortable with the fact that debt isn't a scary thing. It's actually a tool when used the proper way. Um, 
but it's a tool for assets, not for consumer debt. That's a great way to say that it's a tool. And, you know, there's things that you can do with tools. You can like a hammer, right? It could be used to, to build something. It could be used to break something. And the tool needs to be used in the right way. And there probably is a little of education that comes along with that. You, you mentioned, you know, just the process of learning this along the way. Talk about some of the, the ways that you were able to learn. I know you were learning by doing, which is probably the best way, but how else were you learning? How else were you figuring out some of these tools and the best way to use them? Yeah, you know, one of the things I hear from you guys a lot when I listen to your podcast is uh, you've got to take your financial education into your own hands. You know, I think Nash talked about that a lot. And honestly, reading any book you can get your hands on, listening to podcasts of people who are smarter and bigger and do way more things than I do, that's how I listen and learn. Um, I would say there are not a lot of peers, you know, within my own community where I have gotten that level of knowledge from there's there's a few i've you know met some more of them but almost all of it has come from going out online finding people who are doing it and listening and getting comfortable with it well and that's that's wise i mean i think the best investment we ever make is in ourselves. that's the one thing that we can sort of control i mean i i struggle with that personally but um <laughs> you know it's still it, 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 there's an opportunity there. At least you start out the day with a chance to control yourself and you lose it in the afternoon. Sometimes when you're doing podcasts with somebody constantly ripping you, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But I just think that this is, it's really interesting. Your, your evolution in, in the investing world, as Joey said, you started out really quickly, right out of the gate doing 19 unit multifamily opportunities. And, and now you're thinking creative, you're doing seller finance. And so that's something I think we've talked about on the show a little bit, but we've had what I would say is people who are teaching it have been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years that are out there. But how do you get started? You mentioned like when you were trying to bring this up to art, you were nervous mm -hmm. and, and you were having to kind of fumble through that. Talk about some of those little tips that if I, you know, Joey's wanting to buy a house down at the beach. He wants them to do seller financing. Give Joey some tips on some of the things that you've learned by implementing this yourself. That's been like, when I do it this way, it really helps open the door much better than if I don't. Yeah, I, that's hard. I, mean, I think probably the biggest thing is trying to listen to the people and figure out what is motivating them. He's out. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Russ. What, what were you saying? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, and, you know, if somebody just wants a quick flip and wants to get out, they're probably not going to entertain it. Um, but if you've got somebody who's uh, depreciated their asset and uh, needs to not take a huge hit in taxes when they sell it, you know, it's to their benefit to, drip that out over time, maybe get down into a lower tax bracket. Um, or if you've got somebody who, you know, isn't looking to go do something else with the money, like the example of the person whose parents had owned it for a long time, it, it didn't really matter to him. We were able to offer more than we would have paid otherwise. And so we said, look, you know, we can pay what you're asking for if you carry a note. And you know, we paid a little bit higher interest than we would have with the bank. But like on that deal, I think we brought 2% to the table. And so trying to figure out and play uh, with each person and what their needs are. And sometimes it's time, sometimes it's money. 
um, sometimes it's purchase price. Uh, that's been helpful. Interesting. Now, what what has this led you to? Has, have you just stayed strictly in the real estate space or have you found other ways to invest outside of like these multifamily? And then you mentioned the house in Florida, like anything else that you've been able to do or that you're like considering now? Yeah, there's a handful of things. Um, one, you know, carrying seller financing or doing seller financing is not a whole lot different than the hard money lending that you guys have had talked about on the show before. Uh, and so started playing around with that idea. You know, my partner had done that in another capacity and uh, there was a, a local business that I came across that needed a loan. It wasn't a big loan. It was yeah, $40,000. Um, they couldn't, there was a bank not willing to work with them because of the finance position they were in, but they had great collateral. And so, you know, taking all these things we've learned, uh, listening to podcasts like yours, we said, all right, we can, we'll hire an attorney. We'll tie up that collateral and why not? And, and so we got in that deal, um, somebody who's in that market was a specialty piece of equipment to sign a contract saying, you know, if we exercise this within a year, they'll buy it for a hundred thousand dollars, which was probably a fire sale price, but it's still, you know, two and a half times more than we had lent on, lent on the property. And so, you know, we filed the paperwork, we put a lien on it and our mortgage on it and did the deal. And it, it turned out well, I think we, it was 25% return for that deal. Um, and that was, that was an interesting one. Um, we started a mowing company just to augment what we do for the apartments. Uh, like I said earlier, I like partners. Uh, we partnered with my brother. He's, you know, I've been looking to get out of the nursing field. He's a big guy, he likes outdoor stuff and it fit for him to start a mowing business that we helped fund. But then we also, you know, essentially get a kickback for him mowing our properties. Uh, a new one we're working on right now, that's not with my partner, it's just me and some local investors is we're trying to buy our local newspaper. Um, it's wow. owned by a big corporation and uh, we've been starting to make some headway and uh, it's not a done deal yet, but I, I you know, we've been working hard on it. I hope within the year's end, um, we can say we have a locally owned paper again. That's really cool. <laughs> All right. That's, that's not something we've heard on the show. Um, what, what's the motivation? What's the drive behind that particular purchase? Uh, a couple things. One, um, it's not well done now. You know, a lot of papers that aren't local in smaller communities don't get run so well, um, but the, the local staff would like to do a good job. Um, so I think it's a community asset. Uh, I think, you know, from the books I've read, Statistically, if you lose a local paper, which I'm afraid could happen, uh, your taxes go up, your politicians over time uh, go down in their ethical behavior, uh, and you just lose that community back porch feel that comes with a local paper. And so um, you know, we're going to find out here soon, but I've brought a team of investors who are civic-minded to see if they agree that uh, this is something worth saving, uh, not necessarily as a you know, huge money-making venture, but as a community asset. Well, so you mentioned something though there as an investor and as business owners in the community, anybody who is interested in not only the well-being of the community, but I think you hit on a point there that there's some statistics that show our taxes can go up, our politicians can be doing um, deals that may be not in our best interest that ultimately cost you money, right? So I think maybe... Mm -hmm. Uh, you won't necessarily see direct return immediately, but you can on other deals in the future. That's really good. I really appreciate you think, uh, sharing such an interesting idea. Like you said, Joey, I haven't heard that. Well, uh, I, I mean, but Russ is actually 
considering it now does he he wants to put his face on the front page of something and i mean that's probably the only <laughs> way it's going to happen you know if you own something stop stop you it can, you can control no that. no i don't want to be on any papers no. that that's that's that, i'm already getting you know stopped too much when i go out now having to sign stuff i can't imagine <laughs> if they put my face on the newspaper all right so you you did say something a second ago i want to come back to because you were talking about a partner and and so yep. let's say if I was looking for a partner and investing, <laughs> and like give me some some things that are that you think are really important that somebody like me would really want to make sure that I honed in on. And I know that you you mentioned you you have kind of one person that you do a lot of deals with. It sounds like you've got uh, another group here that you're doing some things with. But how how have you guys kind of one divvied up responsibilities as partners and and figured out you know what are those key aspects maybe an ingredients a, a real partnership um will be will flourish in um yeah that's a good question uh, and you know you asked how i've learned some of the things that i've learned um one of the things i left out was mentors and i had a mentor oh, he's probably in his 70s and all he does anymore is manage his family trust. You know, he built a lot of wealth. And he said that one of, one of the things that he would encourage is find people you trust and work with them and listen to them. You can't do everything by yourself to find good people. Uh, and so, you know, my partner, he's my wife's cousin. His name's Grant. Um, tremendous guy. And that's who we do a lot of deals together with. And um, we share similar values. Uh, we're both willing to put the other person first, step into somebody else's shoes, uh, and we're trustworthy. And I think those are some of the key ingredients. Um, you know, there should be no reason people don't, you know, want to work with friends or family uh, because they're worried about a, the way a deal could go down. Now, I think he and I are both of the mindset. Uh, if one of us got ripped off, there's bigger fish in the world. And so um, we're both willing to trust each other and trust each other to carry the work. And, and we do, we split jobs and uh, the slack gets picked up and I, I feel like it's not one of those partnerships where one person carries all the weight. Um, you know, it kind of works itself out. And well, and I will say in our relationship, Joey, you carry all the weight. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I am not that much heavier than you. No, but you're six inches shorter than me. So it really is a, a big disparity. <laughs> it's not, that's not important. Uh, man, Josh, besides Russ totally wasting our time uh, today, I'm really grateful for you to come on and be willing to share. Like, this is a highlight for us because it, it one, it confirms that what we're doing makes sense, that people are actually taking action and seeing results that give them that peace of mind that you talked about that very, very few people have. And that is the ability that, man, if someone, if something happens out of my control within my employer relationship, I now have the ability to, to not be in fear of that happening. I, I, I'm in much more control of the uncontrollable things, if that's, if I can say that. Uh, but, but the, the person that is hearing you say, I started with like a five or $6,000 policy. I had to start small, but then to, to hear in relatively short time, over a five-year span of time, where you've come to, like, help that person that may be stuck in, in that position where they just don't feel like they have a whole lot to, to get started with. Like, what would be any, like, parting thoughts for somebody in that position, uh, what they could be or, or should be doing? 
Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I would encourage that person, think about the long term. Um, where do you want your kids to be? Where do you want your grandkids to be? Uh, and start moving your feet. And if you want your kids to be better off, if you want to give them opportunities you maybe didn't have, um, you've got to start somewhere. And that may mean you need to take six months or a year and really dig into, uh, is this the right fit for me and my family? Um, you know, but when I started, I, I don't remember exactly what I was making. It was, probably wasn't more than fifty-five or sixty thousand dollars, and it was it was a, a stretch uh, to put in what we were putting in. Um, but each year it grows, and you know, one thing I would tell people: I don't use my IBC policy all that much because rates are so low in some areas. But having it, learning those skills, uh, learning the skills has been huge. But having that there uh, is a confidence booster that. Um, you, know, you can go in, you can negotiate, you can leverage uh, because you know you've got this you know chunk of money sitting behind you uh, to back up what you need to do and um, you know you're not house rich and money poor. Uh, you've got the assets there and I, I just that's what I encourage. dig in, start moving your feet. No, no doubt. Action always overcomes fear because once you do it once you realize it's not that hard or not that um, scary, you can do it and the and you will learn so many things along the way. You also meet a lot of uh, interesting people and it sounds like you're doing all of those. Thank you so much for coming in. And I, I know this isn't something that you get paid to do. This is just another opportunity for you as a listener to hear a, just a testimony, if you will, of someone in the community who's taking action, who's kind of picked out what they want in life, created a plan to do it, and then have built you know, this support team around them um, and are, is giving back to those. So thank you, Josh, for jumping in this interview. Really appreciate uh, you and uh, being on today. Yeah, I, you know, I appreciate you guys and what you're doing to get the word out and helping people become, you know, financially literate. Um, you know, I'd really just like to leave uh, with everybody and, and say, remind them that um, it's the Lord who gives us the ability to generate wealth. It's not, you know, we can be humble. We can be thankful. We don't have to put a lot of effort into it, but just work hard, uh, be generous, and you know things will open up for you. Oh, I love that. And the, that's the part of this that I think Russ and I get really excited about is that when people are in bondage or in prison financially, they can, they can never really become who God intended them to be. They can't really use their God-given strengths if they're constantly worried about the next bill that has to be paid or the next, like they just can't flourish. And I, I hear in your story how, you know, essentially at this point, you're able to say, um, I'm being used in a capacity God intended me to be used and, and constantly give him the glory for it. So, man, that's, that's super encouraging. And um, again, just adds credence to what we're doing. So thank, thanks as always, guys, for listening into this episode, and uh, we'll catch you on the next. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.